Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Christopher Gee, Senior Research Fellow and Head of Governance and Economy at the Institute of Policy Studies in Singapore. Welcome to our third installment of IPS Online. IPS Online is a regular virtual series that discusses issues relating to Singapore's governance, economy, society, and culture. Today's forum is being live streamed on Facebook. It will also be recorded and uploaded onto the IPS website and Facebook later. Please submit your comments and questions at any time to our Facebook page, and we'll try our best to answer them as we go along. The forum will last an hour and 15 minutes, but depending on how the discussion goes, it may go on for a little bit longer, and we hope that you will be able to stay with us. We see this as the start of a process of engagement with various groups on this issue, both online and off, and hope that you will be able to join us on this policy research inquiry as we proceed. We'll be considering today the topic of heightened employment risks, especially for specific groups of workers in precarious employment. This has been an accelerating trend in recent years from the effects of globalization and technological advance, but which has now been accentuated further by the COVID-19 pandemic. As we think forward in an age of pandemics and attendant uncertainty, what are the possible solutions to offset these greater unemployment risks? Oh, sorry, employment risks? What can governments, employers, and the workers themselves do to prepare for and pool their greater employment risks? I'm afraid we won't have a lot of time today to tackle the skills and human capital development aspects in adapting to this new situation. And if we don't manage it, Today, perhaps we can consider this and other related topics more fully in subsequent sessions. Our four panelists today will approach the issue from different perspectives, and I hope we will have a good discussion around this topic. I won't be running through their biographies in any detail in the interest of time. They are available on our website. Our first speaker today uh, will set the scene. Dr. John Taylor is president and, of the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries, and he will talk through the great risk transfer in today's session, focusing on the transfer of employment and income security risk onto workers, especially those in vulnerable occupations. John, you have the screen. Thank you, Chris, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Delighted to join you from here in uh, Edinburgh today. Yeah, as, as Chris said, um, the particular topic we're focusing on today around employment risk, particularly in relation to pandemics is actually a manifestation of a much longer term trend and indeed the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries have started some thought leadership looking at this longer term trend so I'd like to paint that broad context for you first of all before we get into the very specifics of uh, this particular situation. So the great risk transfer is um, a title we're giving to that recognises that uh, over many decades, there's been a global trend from uh, shifting risk from institutions. So, you know, governments, uh, employers, onto the shoulders uh, of individuals. And it really started in, uh, in significance probably back in the 80s when, you know, President Reagan and Mrs. Thatcher had a very strong political ideology that was about removing uh, paternalism from the state and encouraging uh, individual um, accountability. And the broad bargain was that we would see smaller government, smaller benefits, 
uh, in return for a lighter taxation burden. And the idea was that individuals would have more uh, disposable income themselves to determine uh, which benefits they themselves would select um, on the way. And so the result, of course, has been that um, in general terms across the globe, we've seen uh, a dilution of state benefits. So it's uh, uh, the eligibility criteria have ratcheted up and up. And indeed, the generosity of those benefits has re reduced um, over, over time too. Um, that political philosophy has also had a big impact in the employment market. So it has um, weakened the bargaining power of employees. And as a result, some of the very generous benefits that employers have offered in the past have also been eroded. So classically, um, if you worked for an employer for um, most of your working lifetime, you would emerge at the end of that with a a pension or a guaranteed income for life so that no matter how long you lived or what happened to the stock market during your retirement, you would be safe in the knowledge that your employer would pay you a guaranteed income for life. And um, employers have stepped away from that over the last several decades. And now it's the individual's responsibility to decide how much to save, where to invest. And then they themselves have the risk of um, potentially outliving their savings uh, during their, their retirement period. So it's had quite a, a profound impact uh, for the individual in terms of their relationship between them and state and them and their employer. And of course, there are also structural changes in the employment market that means the traditional employment relationship um, has, has changed itself. So many people are now in the gig economy where um, they might not technically be an employee, but they are working for, for companies, and I know we'll hear later today how that's um, affected the uh, security uh, of benefits. So that's the, 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 the broad context. And I think the implications are, you know, many and varied. So for certain individuals who maybe are enjoying lighter tax burden are relatively wealthy, then actually this um, change in environment can be quite positive because you have disposable income that allows you to choose which benefits or insurances you, you wish to secure in the private market. And so you can tailor a benefits package to suit your particular needs. And if I think of many um, of my actuarial colleagues, that's quite a, a benefit for them. But actually, probably for the bulk um, of individuals, there are you know, much greater challenges. One might be that they're simply not earning enough, that there's disposable income to allow them to purchase these benefits. I mean, that's a, a very um, significant constraint. And I think the other challenge is that um, many individuals might not have the financial literacy or awareness to even understand the, the risks that they are bearing, let alone uh, be able to source solutions themselves to mitigate them in the private market. So I think there's a big, a big question about how do individuals um, respond appropriately to the freedom and the choices that they have um, open to them. And Chris, I know you, you were talking particularly about pandemics. Now there's there's a, a limitation to what the private market can do um, in a, an era of pandemic. Insurance is wonderful at uh, providing cover where there's lots of individual risks, you know, if somebody's claiming and lots of other people aren't. But when there's a, 
concentration of risk as there are in pandemics where you know many many individuals are looking to claim then the private market simply doesn't have the financial resources to cover everybody at the same time. And so that's, of course, why we're seeing government stepping in to prop up companies and to support um, individuals, giving them, uh, you know, temporary income to get them through this difficult uh, period. So I think in areas where there's a concentration of risk like pandemics, there will, there will always be a role for government. And probably beyond the scope for today, but there's a you know, a downstream implication for the current generation of workers in that, uh, you know, if governments are now taking on unprecedented levels of debt, um, you know, they will need to repay that over the, the coming decades and generations. And of course, that that burden uh, will have to be probably fall on the shoulders of the current generation of employers uh, employees. So I think that's a further challenge that um, you know uh, the working generation will need to contend with um, in, the, in the coming decades. So you know very much looking forward to uh, the debate uh, and uh, insight today to hear how this, as I say, longer term political trend is manifesting in reality today and hearing some of the specific um, uh, implications and potential mitigations in the Singaporean market. Thank you. Right. Thanks, John. Uh, and we'll probably come back to some of that um, political bigger picture issue uh, later on in the discussion. Our next speaker uh, is Mr. Desmond Chu. He's Assistant Secretary General of the National Trades Union Congress and Mayor of the Northeast District. He will share with us the workers' perspectives and some initiatives that NTUC has in place to support gig economy workers and freelancers. Desmond, please. Um, thanks, uh, Chris, and uh, of course, uh, many thanks to uh, IPS for having me uh, to join in today's session. Um, I think what uh, Dr. John Taylor has uh, shared um, is that the pandemics really showed up quite a lot of things that uh, has been structural, but has been accelerated. But I just want to get back to what this pandemic is about. Um, really, at the core of this crisis, um, is the need for us to protect lives and livelihoods. Uh, we need to apply ourselves to help workers on uh, these two fronts. Um, partly and uh, critically is many of tomorrow's possibilities have really become today's realities. The employment risks have been elevated and some already manifested. So for example, you look at um, technology adoption, it has been accelerated. Uh, the redundancy of certain job functions, especially those process-focused ones, um, has been hastened. Uh, Mid-back office transformation has been accelerated by years, uh, even though the, um, we expected for years, but now uh, within months, uh, it has been done. So the structural changes have really been brought forward. Um, even though we're not going to go too deep into retraining and uh, deployment of uh, human capital, uh, but these are the essential things to mitigate employment risk. Uh, so after a few months in this crisis, we have increasing clarity on the future of the economy, but actually only slightly clearer. So we have two important issues at hand. Um, both have to do with jobs and some of the attendant risks. I think the first one uh, in any of these pandemics is we need to provide a buffer for Singaporeans and businesses against unprecedented health-induced economic crises until it is clearer what this new world order will be like. Now, the first wave of support is no different from what happens after a natural disaster, which is massive support, um, except that this time around is a medical disaster. 
Now, the government has intervened significantly. Um, you start to see massive broad-based support, um, such as the job support scheme, the self-employed persons income relief or SERS. Now, they are needed to stabilize families until we can tide over the worst of the storm. Um, they, ex they augment existing social safety nets, such as Comcare. Now, some of this support uh, going must continue as we reopen economies. Uh, we have looked at the examples around the world. There are risk. You can reopen and you have to shut down if you don't do it well. So the ability to manage a safe reopening is critical to help companies and workers manage those risks and get the economy going. Um, second, um, I think helping workers to transit to new jobs uh, is key. Uh, jobs are still the foundation of dignity and stability. There's, there's no substitute for that. Um, since the start of the crisis, um, we start to see the labor movement and the unions uh, really playing uh, very critical roles, especially in the hospitality aviation sector uh, to help workers to move on to secondary employment. Uh, those sectors are going to be depressed for a while. Um, we have helped to move the workers around, making sure that they get those jobs. In fact, we actually start to see increasing interest in becoming union members. Um, so I help out at the SERS uh, application center um, daily. And you start to see a lot of the self-employed people signing up as members. So you start to see a flight to security. Um, and we will continue to see such uh, a movement. Uh, we have put forth some new innovations, um, such as the Job Security Council. It has allowed both companies and uh, workers to come together, placing training workers ahead of time. Uh, this, of course, on top of some of the hardship support we provided. Now, the other part um, is quite strange for a uh, labor movement person to say this, but it is very much called to us, is to how to uh, helping companies to stay afloat, really tackling employment risk from the company's perspective. Uh, without strong companies, we would not have a good workforce. So we have put in place company training committees getting companies to work with workers on their mitigation transformation plans going forward so that we can keep a good workforce going. Now, the nature of the pandemic has also affected certain segments of the workforce uh, disproportionately and put into sharper focus structural changes needed to support them. Um, one case in point, I think as uh, um, John and Chris has put it, the self-employed persons. How can we better organize ourselves to better represent the interest? So we have expanded our UFSE platform, which is an association of uh, self-employed persons. We look into the issues they have. We table these issues to the government. So the collective strength of being able to band together has proven very useful in helping the SEPs. Now, the next question for us is, should we start to work on certain legislative changes to enable us to do this work better? Uh, next one, we are always going to have vulnerable segments of the economy. So how do we train, advance, and deploy better? Now, the pandemic focuses sharply on how quickly we can retrain and redeploy workers. Because once you have erosion of human capital, the whole rebound is going to be a lot more difficult. Um, we start to see the at-risk employers stepping up to prepare workers for layoffs through retraining. That is positive, and I think we need more. Uh, systems that allow us for employers and uh, workers to come together. Um, and and through, uh, throughout this first few months, 
Um, I found that the cornerstone of this work is something that's quite unique to Singapore, uh, which is our strong sense of tripartism. It's allowed a lot of the support work to be developed because there's good trust amongst companies, workers, and government. Uh, and that allows risk to be managed in Singapore over the years, I think will be increasingly important post-COVID. Um, and lastly, before I end, I think as we are locked into the COVID uh, situation, uh, I think we always need to keep an eye on how are we going to emerge stronger from this? Um, how do we build structures so that companies emerge stronger, so the workers emerge with better skills, so that if and when, and it will certainly come to pass, um, that we will emerge stronger um, and the Singapore in a better state and a better economy uh, post-COVID. Thank you. Thank you, Desmond. Uh, and we'll probably take up some of your points about the role of unions and trade associations in a post-COVID labour market later on uh, in our discussion as well. Next, uh, we have Mr. Lim Yu Heng. He's Regional Head of Public Affairs at Grab, and he will discuss the potential for technology to craft solutions to help these worker groups to manage their employment and health risks, and also talk about some of the initiatives that Grab has implemented in this area for its driver and delivery contractors. Yuheng, please go ahead. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me to this um, a very important panel. Um, I, I think the, the pandemic has, has really um, raised a lot of questions and profiling on, on you know, platforms like ours um, and the role of the, the gig economy. Um, I, I, I would say it, it's a bit like a love-hate relationship that we're observing now. Love because I think everyone recognizes the importance, the convenience that um, uh, you know platforms such as ours provide. Um, but that's of course always a concern of um, whether the gig workers are being exploited, whether they um, that's um, something that is sustainable and the right thing to do. Um, not easy topics, and 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 I, I, maybe I'll share how we think about it. Right, I think first and foremost is um, the gig economy. Um, has always been there. Um, it's always been a bit informalized, small scale, um, and requires personal connections for you to find a gig worker to maybe help you um, do delivery, um, do some chores at home. Um, and it has always been there, and it's it always been um, actually particularly critical for um, segments of our societies who struggles to find formal employment. And that has been a problem um, for the markets that we serve, also in Singapore. Um, and in recent years, as income inequality becomes uh, more pertinent, really the, the, the need to uh, bring this um, sort of a sticky underclass into the digital age is an issue that I think societies uh, are grappling with, including Singapore. Um, and you know, the recent boom in sort of a tech-driven gig economy um, is one of the areas in which um, this particular segment of, of our society can get a first step and a first taste of going into participating in the digital economy. Um, it has, technology has made sort of large scale geek work um, possible, um, better, but also safer. Um, and I think for many um, workers in, in our platform, um, we have also become a very critical source of income. Um, for some of them, it's, 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 um, it supplements their core income, but for a lot of our partners, it is actually the core um, income. And, and so um, 
really what I, we have seen is this boom of um, gig economy. It is an important step for a lot of us towards um, digitizing or getting involved in the digital economy. Um, but we certainly don't think that the gig economy is the only or the main solution as we transform the workforce uh, into sort of industry 4.0. Um, now, let me talk a bit about COVID. Um, COVID is, of course, a major disruption for everyone, um, including for, for us, right? And, and, and I think th there is a bit of a two parts to it. On, on one hand, I think society start to recognize the importance of these everyday gig workers. They are unsung heroes. They provide a lot of essential services. Um, and I think people recognize how important this economy is. On the other hand, I think there's strong recognition that it's a segment that's also quite vulnerable. Um, income security is not as good as somebody who has sort of a typical sort of employment jobs. Access to healthcare is not as good. Um, and, and, and John covered a lot of the issues that face um, sort of this in, informal workforce, uh, gig workers. Um, and of course, during COVID times, um, because their income is affected and they continue to need to work, there is also mental health risks and issues um, that our 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 gig part workers uh, particularly face. And of course, as Grab, and and I have a, a slide to show, when we first started this um, 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 uh, thinking about COVID and managing COVID, um, we just really went all out and tried to do as much as we can to help. Right, both in terms of safety, um, making sure that our workers can continue to work safely for our consumers, um, making sure that their income is um, to a certain level protected together with the government, making sure that the impact of COVID is mitigated. And then of course, to also contribute where we can towards um, um, society um, in terms of being a major tech platform in Singapore and how we can contribute towards um, the nation's um, 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 re um, response to, to, to COVID. So in the short term, I think the company has tried as much as we can to manage the short-term impact of, of the economy. The, the challenge I think now is as we are emerging uh, from the circuit breaker, as, as we think and think about the long-term impact and potentially a prolonged recession, how do we prepare the gig workforce, the gig economy towards that new scenario, towards um, a prolonged um, recession, right? So for us, it's, it's a, a few things that we need to um, think about. One is how do we make the system more resilient and more robust? Um, um, I think COVID, if there's one silver lining about COVID is that it, it really brings the question about how do we get this gig economy ecosystem, not just, not just working for everyone, but being robust and sustainable, such that consumers don't overpay. Um, our gig workers earn a decent and secure living and companies like us who provide the platform can be sustainable and 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 can 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 be there for the long term and and so these are the questions that i think we are now starting to see becoming much more pertinent um much more critical as we talk about as we as we look forward the timeline has of course squeezed a lot um maybe what we could have done to strengthen the platform in a few years has been squeezed into a few months um so 
within the company itself, and I don't think it's just Grab, but a lot of the, the fellow gig economy companies are reflecting and thinking about how do we use the lessons of COVID to rethink how we are running our business model? Can we make it more sustainable? Can we make it more robust um, for the workers who earn their main living with, um, with a platform such as ours? How can we um, support them and, and manage some of this risk that comes, uh, that comes along? Maybe one final point is, I think the answer to a lot of these questions will not be sort of finding overall solutions to fit into that. Um, which is always a temptation, right? Let's take old solution and try to make it work. I think the solutions would be two things. One is, of course, collaboration with the different parts of society, government, um, um, unions, etc. But the other one is really innovation, right? Innovation, for example, on the fintech front so that we can do very customized insurance schemes. Now, that is where I also feel there is a, a bit of a challenge because on the one hand, Innovation is always great, but if you're innovating on, say, a vulnerable segment of the society, that's always something we have to tread very carefully because we don't want to be seen as applying sort of fintech solution on a vulnerable segment, and there could be danger of exploiting um, these these uh, these segments. So innovation, but I think also careful innovation, and we recognize the responsibility that players like us need to need to take. Um, and that the solutions will take some uh, innovation and collaboration across the, the different parts of society. Great. Uh, thanks, uh, Yuheng. And um, I think uh, it'll be nice to probe your thoughts at the end about how technology platforms like yours uh, can perhaps uh, help individual workers uh, come together and share their employment risk. We'll take that on uh, later on. Now, may I introduce uh, Dr. Ong Chian? She's direct, Deputy Director of the Social Service Research Centre at the National University of Singapore. Together with Associate Professor Walter Tessera, she proposed the once-off Majula Universal Basic Income Scheme to help workers tide themselves through this crisis. Whilst that scheme wasn't intended to be a permanent feature of the social safety net here, perhaps there are elements from that uh, that we should be considering, or are there other schemes such as full-blown UBI or unemployment insurance at the national level? Or, and, and what about you know, community-level solutions that we might consider? So, Chian, you have the screen. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, thank you for the previous speakers for setting the stage. Uh, really useful for me. So, my expertise uh, is on uh, low-wage workers, so I will focus exclusively on them. Um, and um, I will share with you some information because without the information, we don't really know who what we are talking about, you know, what are the conditions that low-wage workers are facing, and hence how um, it will be difficult to, to talk about the solutions. Uh, okay, so may I have the slides, please? Um, yep. Okay, so um, let's go to the, the first slide. Okay, so following um, um, Yu Heng's um, talk, okay, so first I would like to share with you about uh, low-wage-owned account jobs. Uh, or you can call it freelance jobs or self-employed jobs, okay? So there are different names for the same um, jobs. Um, okay, so a lot of, so I'm going to share with you um, data from 2017 because it is important for us to understand what are the existing problems that um, faced by low-wage workers before COVID and how COVID situation actually magnified some of these issues. Okay, so this is the this is a brief summary of um, the 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 state of low wage um, owned account jobs in Singapore. So as you would have expected, most of them are probably um, 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 
taxi or grab drivers, okay? Um, based on the report on own account workers released by MOM in 2017 um, or 2018, there are 190,000 primary owned account workers in, um, in 2017, okay? So that means that um, these, these workers, um, you know, drive grab or uh, taxi drivers for as a main job. Okay, so that's the main job. And um, the median income is um, $2,500 per month, which means that 50% of them earn less than this per month. Um, and of which 42% actually earns less than $1,670 um, per month for the full-time like main job. Okay, and we can also see on the top, um, left-hand corner of the screen that 77% have um, post-secondary and below education. Um, so we are talking about the lower education group being the bulk of the um, own account workers. The top three concerns that they have listed about own account work basically are all related to social protection, okay? Financial stability, uh, as Yuheng has mentioned, uh, and the next two, medical and retirement funding, these are all social protection kinds of issues, which is um, why, um, you know, we, we have to think about employment risk uh, in these aspects and, and how can social policy helps to uh, ensure them against um, some of these, these challenges. Um, okay, so, so the characteristics of these jobs um, basically are listed on the right. Okay, so these jobs have no paid sick leave. Most of them do not have. I know that some companies do offer them, but um, only when um, the, the, num the days of uh, leave exceed a certain threshold. Okay, um, they also don't have annual leave. And the key characteristic is that if they don't work, there is no income. Okay, so with these three characteristics, then what can we infer about the risk factors of um, these workers during the pandemics? So it is very likely that, you know, I mean, um, we are actually putting them, we are, we are putting them in the impossible position of having to decide whether to feed their family or to take care of public health risks. Uh, and that's very difficult decision for, for them to do. If they stay at home, uh, if they are feeling slightly unwell, then they risk not being able to feed their family because there's no other forms of, um, of, of, assist, of cash inflow to the family. So, so um, internationally, I mean, there is, um, there is agreement that these workers are likely to be less compliant to mitigate, mitigation measures, but we have to remember that it is because we have put them in a very difficult position. Um, and also the high health risk is compounded by the fact that these workers are often in high touch jobs, okay, so they meet different peoples. And because of the, the meeting different people, uh, it exposes them to high health risk. And they also tend to have, um, being low income, they also tend to be in a smaller living um, housing and hence, you know, the, the, the risk that they bear extends to their family. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, now, um, apart from own account workers, we are also worried about full-time um, workers, okay, full, people in full-time jobs. Um, here, I want to uh, highlight to you this thing called the triple low full-time jobs, okay? So full-time jobs, uh, technically, they are en um, workers are entitled to sick leave and annual leave based on the Employment Act, okay? However, uh, although workers are entitled to these benefits, they may not be able to use these benefits. Okay, and the reason being because, uh, you know, they, they are worried that they will lose their job. 
Okay, um, and if they and you you can see that the proportion of people losing their um, taking leaves actually varies quite a lot across industries. So I want to highlight to you um, the industries in red, um, where these are um, so the the. These industries are where the triple low jobs are most likely to be found. Okay, so triple low jobs are like, uh, what are these triple lows? First, they are low wage. Okay, then they are low entitlements. They have very low number of um, annual leave. And they also have low bargaining power in terms of uh, their ability to take sick leave. Okay, even though they are entitled. And if you look at the, if you look at the chart, um, for the two circles on the left, um, Industries like accommodation and food and services, as well as administrative and support services. Um, these workers in these jobs tend half of the work half of the workers in these jobs tend to earn less than two thousand two hundred dollars to two thousand eight hundred dollars per month. Okay, so they are kind of low um, paying jobs. And interestingly, you have you may have noted that um, these jobs pay about the same as the own account jobs. Okay. And um, in 2017, less, of, uh, less than half of them reported taking sick leave, whereas the rest of the industries um, are taking sick leave at about 70, uh, 60 to 70% of the time. Okay, so this shows that they, um, these workers are systematically be, um, in a poorer position to negotiate with their, their employers um, even when they are sick. Um, and okay, um, um, the same, we also see the same situation in uh, construction and manufacturing, especially for food, beverages, and uh, tobacco. So even though their, their median wage is much higher, but we expect that some of the workers in these industries suffer the same triple low uh, kinds of jobs, okay, where they have uh, very low entitlements and difficulty in taking sick leave. Okay, so what's the implication to a uh, pandemic? Um, Unlike the own account workers, right? They are, these workers will, even if they are sick, then the decision will be whether you know they should report to work um, or face the, the the chance of losing their job if they don't. Okay, because the companies need them to report in. Um, so so this is very challenging. But you can see that the the kind of um, risk factors posed by low wage workers are pretty pretty much similar. All right, pretty much similar. Um, Okay, so uh, let's go to the next uh, slide. So what is the outlook for low-wage workers uh, after the circuit breaker, okay? Um, what we will expect is that because of the reduction in uh, demand for goods and services, we would expect to see a reduction in wages or um, you know, a higher unemployment rate. And therefore we um, expect that even for existing jobs, um, with further depression, uh, depression in the wages, then the triple low jobs, which are already precarious, will become even more precarious. And some of the jobs which are not precarious will now become precarious, okay? Because of this uh, reduction in wages. So uh, it, what it means is that a lot of the full-time jobs will become more and more comparable to own account jobs, which is also what we have seen, that many of the workers are now, um, you know, becoming delivery uh, drivers for Grab and other companies. And so we will keep seeing that, okay, because the two kinds of jobs are becoming more and more comparable. Um, now the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if, if more of them take up low wage own account jobs, is this actually good for getting out of poverty? Because that is what we are concerned about uh, with this vulnerable group. 
And uh, and then the question, then the next question is, uh, since since own account jobs are, are pretty lacking in social protection, uh, and we have more of them, more of the population in these jobs, is this actually good for the society as a whole? Okay, so these are big questions to answer. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so I'm suggesting three vitamins, okay? Um, you know, just a, to improve low-wage works, okay? And vitamins meaning that they may not be cures, but they will definitely improve the resilience of the population against pandemic. Okay, so first, I think uh, we need to start strengthening the fair treatment of employees. What we have just seen or what I've just shared are data from 2017, 2018, okay? But uh, in the next year or so, we will see even more challenging times and difficult decisions by companies. And hence, we need to have um, to ensure that the employees are also fairly treated, okay? So what are some of the options that we can have? So first, uh, we can explore government paid sick leave, okay? Um, and the reason is because um, small companies may have difficulties in providing the same level of benefits as large companies, which may be why um, some of them will not be able to allow their, their workers to be on sick leave, even though uh, it's actually better for the public, the uh, public's interest. And hence, to reduce this kind of um, decision, um, um, difficulties, it will be, it, it, I mean, it will be useful for the government to think about having sick leave as a government paid, to be government paid, just like other kinds of leave, uh, maternity or paternity, okay? And uh, if, so for, for the audience, right, you may have realized too that actually for maternity leave, it applies to both full-time employees and self-employed. So again, you know, for consistency, why not have um, sick leave that is also applicable for full-time and self-employed workers, then that will serve as a natural defense against uh, the pandemic. Um, so from there, okay, so, so, so apart from that, we know that there are still, uh, some companies still struggle to um, provide some um, government paid leaves, even though they, are, they exist. So to give them the carrot and to help them with the business cost, um, one way is that that the government contracts should start to set some sort of norms, okay, by making uh, fair treatment of employees as part of the assessment criteria. So if that is, um, so, so instead of just um, hiring companies with the lowest cost, um, yeah, we should start to think about this treatment, fair treatment as part of our considerations for hiring. Okay, so all these, apart from um, punitive actions against violators, should help to improve the treatment of employees. Okay, then the second um, option, um, as Chris has mentioned, are uh, things like um, what um, I've, I have suggested with um, Professor um, Walter Tessera, so MUBI, um, or some sort of an unemployment insurance, okay? And these kinds of schemes, what it is doing is that it gives work, low-wage workers some basic um, uh, income so that they are able to say no to jobs that are really, um, that has really very bad conditions. And this will force companies to provide better jobs, um, better benefits, and, and hence the transition um, process. So we are gonna see the transition process in the next few months. Um, we will, if we have that kind of basic assurance, it will prevent companies from taking the most direct route of reducing business costs, which is to just cut wages and um, just, just reduce the benefits for workers, okay? So companies will have to reinvent or, or innovate to think about better ways to reduce costs other than to um, cut the wages of the workers. 
Okay, and then lastly, because we have um, Desmond here today on the panel, and he has already spoken quite a lot about the role of unions. Yeah, we, we definitely, uh, I mean, I definitely believe that unions should take a larger role. When the government is very preoccupied with, um, you know, dealing with the COVID situation, uh, ensuring that the Employment Act is enforced actually is something that the unions should be looking at. Okay, so, so that the workers can be, uh, if workers cannot take leave, the unions should step in to work with companies to make sure that um, they are fairly treated. Okay, so um, this rounds up my thoughts about the, the situation. So maybe we will answer some of the questions later. Thank you. Great, thanks, Chen. Uh, we'll, um Post up uh, Chian's slides uh, on our website later on. Uh, so for everybody to, to have a look at uh, in a bit more detail, there were quite um, a lot of information included in those slides. I thought we'll kick off the discussion um, now on um, a consideration of some of the state level initiatives. As you heard from John and Desmond uh, and also Chian, um, this, you know, and Liu Heng as well, you know, this is a crisis situation and, and, and um, the Governments around the world, um, societies around the world have been overwhelmed uh, by this, um, you know, once off concentrated event where everybody is facing uh, much the same uh, situations uh, in the same boat. Um, so maybe we can start thinking about um, some uh, state level initiatives, uh, maybe things like um, uh, basic uh, income, universal basic income or uh, unemployment insurance, or even things like um, uh, borrowing from your uh, retirement savings. So in, in Singapore, um, some uh, suggestions have been that um, you should be able to tap on your uh, central province on your pension savings um, to um, tide you over uh, over this um, period. So, um, you know, just maybe pose that question uh, uh, to John first, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, maybe Chian, uh, Desmond, um, Yuheng, you want to chime in as well? Yeah, th thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the certainly the question of what's the ongoing underpinning from government to individuals is is, is vital as we manage the pandemic. And I think uh, uh, Ong Chan um, in particular highlighted the, the issue of getting the economic incentives right for individuals because to manage this pandemic risk effectively, we can't really put individuals in a position where they feel they need to put themselves at risk and indeed potentially spread the virus because they kind of can't afford to stay at home and protect themselves or their families. Equally, we can't have a state benefit that's too generous that either the state can't afford it or indeed there's an economic disincentive to get back into the workplace. So finding the, the right level um, there is, is, is vitally important. Um, I think you're you're right that looking at um, temporarily giving access to long-term pension savings may be uh, a way of offering relief to individuals. It's it's something that I, I feel quite conflicted about because much of my career I've been encouraging individuals to save more for retirement and making sure that government policies support this. But uh, in times of um, extreme need, then uh, offering individuals to access a, a small amount of their pot to get over um, you know, an exceptional period of distress might, might well be valuable. And uh, I think it was also um, uh, interesting, the suggestions from Yu Hing Lim about using technology to maybe facilitate more um, 
private uh, innovation to make sure that there's going to be targeted forms of insurance. And we've seen, for example, in the banking market, the emergence of peer-to-peer models. Uh, we've, We've seen very little of that, I think, so far in the insurance market, but that might be a way of uh, offering uh, affordable targeted insurance without some of the um, profit margins that we sometimes see being taken in uh, in the private market. So I think those are a collection of uh, areas that uh, policymakers should be looking at, Chris. Thanks. If I can ask uh, Desmond to um, weigh in on on this issue, clearly, you know, the government has put in a lot of of, uh, effort uh, in the short term to tide people over. So, you know, you've got the job support scheme, you've got the um, self-employed relief, income relief scheme, um, you know, $20 billion, um, you know, which is a huge amount. Um, uh, you know, so, uh, but as we think about the long term, you know, uh, you know, how, how sustainable is this? And, you know, do you think that, um, you know, if, if we are in this for the long term, um, maybe we should be thinking about uh, whether these um, temporary support measures might actually be with us for quite a long while and therefore mm. if if not then you know why shouldn't we make them permanent mm. um, i think those are uh, very good points because we are always trying to balance the the immediate need which is a very sudden and uh, quite uh, terrible impact on workers at the same time you need to guard against um, eroding their long-term viability in terms of uh, uh, financial support so when you have Ideas such as can they draw down on the CPF during this uh, period of time? Firstly, it, it assumes that the lower wage workers have a lot of CPF to draw down. And if you start drawing them down now, I'm not too sure how good would it be for them post-COVID. You're sacrificing um, their longer-term future, you're mortgaging it uh, for short-term uh, relief. So I think that is where the state uh, need to come in and say that for this kind of special circumstances, we do not want our people to mortgage away their future. Um, you come in with a job support scheme, you get companies going, uh, you provide COVID uh, support grant, uh, three, six months of support, you help their families to get through this period, um, and you incentivize companies to want to train workers. Um, as a unionist, um, workers not only just need source of income. I, I found really that when they have hopes of getting a job, and that there is certain um, training involved to equip them to get those jobs, workers generally will end up better than being on the uh, handouts over a prolonged period of time. Uh, And that is where we need to strengthen certain structures. Uh, For example, um, Chian's point about uh, Employment Act and stuff. A lot of the Employment Act thing, they don't apply to uh, self-employed persons, your SCPs. So that is not going to work for them. You, you do need to make certain legislative changes uh, going ahead and say, now, what are the basic things that we need to care of them? Uh, if they are going to be in these jobs, are the current legislation sufficient to help them? And our current thinking is that we think that um, we can represent them better. Um, as individuals, I think it's always going to be difficult. But if you can bring them into a larger fold at NTUC, I think you can better represent their interest and uh, Um, I think that growing interest, uh, increasing membership, as we have seen over the last few months, uh, was just a great uh, uh, indication that people do want representation um, and they want to have a collective voice. Can can I uh, just follow up on that point? Um, You you said that there's there's been a a surge in in terms of uh, uh, sign-ups, memberships amongst uh, 
the self-employed and the, the gig uh, economy workers. Um, but but you know, is there some a fundamental difficulty in in a, a national um, umbrella organization like NTUC hmm. in in reaching all of the uh, different uh, kind of workers out there? Um, obviously, there's there's a range of people, and mm. they whilst they all have different um, you know profiles, different risks, uh, mm. uh, and 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 you know they, it's very difficult, I I would imagine, uh, for you to reach all of them, uh, and mm. uh, for them to um, you know also end up with um, the right <coughs> solutions for each of them, mm. uh, because um, a, a grab worker, uh, a, a ride a driver might have a different um, um, uh, situation to a, um, a freelance software engineer, for example. Mm, right. mm, so, um, you know, I, I'm just wondering whether uh, there might be more customized um, uh, approaches to addressing these people. Mm. Um, I think we do have certain unique strengths. I think first is uh, we have about a million members and that's fairly solid. And we have some um, rather okay doing social enterprises. For example, the NTC income, um, NTC fair price. Now, by them joining us, what they're able to do um, every member gets insurance coverage um, because we're part of a larger collective. We can insure each other. So um, when we're talking about FinTech, trying to fill up some of these gaps, just by being an NTUC member, you, you really get uh, insurance coverage. Um, you not only get to tap on some of these common services, um, legal support, for example, um, uh, employment support, for example. Um, these are some of the things we can provide as core services to anyone who wants to join us. Now, um, because we are also a larger entity, um, I remember that the start of COVID, um, we were actually working quite closely with uh, partners like uh, Yu Hing uh, from Grab and said, hey, the riders have, uh, the drivers have problems now. Um, how can we help them? Or even before this episode, remember we have the PMD issue um, and you were not allowed to ride. We said, hey, how do we help them? So through our setup, we went to talk to some of our MOT colleagues, Ministry of Transport colleagues, and of course, uh, friends like uh, Yu Heng's company, and work some support schemes for them. And we start to see that this is, uh, I think the workers need us to do this. And I think we want to go out in a bigger way uh, to help them. So there is benefit to join a bigger platform, a bigger ship that will help to support them, especially in these choppy waters. Thank you. Thanks, Desmond. Uh, Tian, um, on, on the um, issue of um, uh, workers, um, you know, not um, having the ability to organize. Um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking about um, unemployment insurance and um, mm. uh, and this scheme about um, uh, you know borrowing from your pension fund. Um, not all uh, of the low wage workers that you were talking about in your, in your early on your presentation will have enough uh, pension savings to draw down upon. Uh, and they, you know, many of them won't have the ability to fund uh, from their current income um, to pay for insurance premiums uh, to buy enough uh, unemployment insurance. So, um, you know, what what do you think about that? You know, uh, you know, is that the limitation ultimately for uh, this group, and and therefore ultimately we need a state-based uh, solution. Yeah, so um, I guess Chris, you have right, rightly pointed out what, what are the problems with uh, unemployment insurance, um, which is that you actually need to pay to get into it. Um, drawing down CPF is very difficult for low-income households. I mean, they have hardly any like hardly any money in the CPF, and if they have, um, you know, most of it will be to fund their to to pay for their housing. 
Okay, so it, it really puts them at a very precarious situation if we need them to um, draw down their CPF to, to tide over the situation. And this is the reason why um, in the end we end up, um, um, Walter and I ended up um, advocating for a, a movie, right? A, a UBI that is temporary and um, to tide over these very uncertain times, okay? By providing um, a certain quantum of um, income, basic income for three months at least, and then which will be financed by a, a higher tax, personal tax the next year. Okay, so depending on whether your, your income is high, um, if you're lucky to be in an industry that is doing well this year, then next year you will help to pay off some of this um, um, support with your higher income by higher taxes. Um, and the reason for, for that, the other benefit for that is that movie will co cover not only the unemployed, but people who are employed now, but next step will become unemployment, or they have to, it will also cover people with reduced income, which is actually what we are seeing during the circuit breaker, that many of them are still employed officially, but uh, they are put on leave of absence, they are put on reduced income because of weak demand, because um, the, the companies are not allowed to operate. So, 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 so we thought that a, a scheme like this will be, um, will, will make more sense. It will cover not only the low wage workers that I'm talk I was talking about, but also non-low wage workers uh, who are also at very high employment risk at the, at the current situation. Yeah. So, so, so that that might be one way to think about it. Um, the other, the other, the side benefit of having a system like this is what I've mentioned just now. Um, as we progress in the pandemic, the low wage workers will have very, very low bargaining power because um, of high unemployment. And um, what I didn't mention is this, our social protection system, right, which is um, financial assistance for the low, low income families, um, a lot of times are conditional on employment. Okay, so if you are if you are low wage and uh, you want to obtain um, financial assistance from the government, uh, many times you will be encouraged to be employed. Otherwise, uh, you know, it, um, to avoid moral hazard from setting in, we will cut, win them off the uh, financial assistance. Now, because of this access to financial assistance, a means-tested financial assistance, then the workers will really have no choice but to take up any job that they can find. So that really gives the companies a lot of um, uh, bargaining power over the workers. And hence, it is very important that uh, Desmond and team are doing a great job, you know, like, um, you know, getting more of them on union and representing them. So to make sure that uh, they are not unfairly treated um, post-COVID. Yeah. Can I maybe add one point? Please, yeah, please, please go ahead, Yuan. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of NTUC and, and the union in, in, in general, but I also want to share how, from our perspective, we think about represent, representation of our partners um, and, 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 and there is compelling business reasons to make sure that they are well represented. One is our experience have been some of our best partners, right? The guys who get the five stars, um, who have high fulfillment rate and 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 really is the big bedrock of our our platform. Um, these are very loyal, um, long-term um, um, partners of ours. And for us, it's very critical that we understand their needs and and their challenges because it's in our interest to make sure that they find the platform 
attractive, sustainable, responsible. Um, so, so that's one. And, and what we have done internally is that we actually have a team of, of, of um, grad um, employees who really represents the voice of these partners. And they are the ones who, who we tap onto to say, how do our workers, how do our, our partners feel about, for example, if we were to do ABC? And they would say, no, it doesn't think it makes sense. And, and their job is to make sure that they really understand it. Now, um, I, I, I think, of course, it's, it's, it's never a journey that can be done. We need to, we need to do more. But I, I think from the platform itself, there is also very strong recognition that representation is important because it makes business sense. Okay. Uh, so, Yuheng, uh, let's follow on. Um, I think you mentioned earlier about, um, uh, well, I mentioned earlier about this whole idea of the, the you know, technology platforms like yours, um, you know, providing that, that um, sort of ability for um, your partners, your contractors to, um, you know, get together, band together to, um, you know, uh, provide those um, services, those um, uh, risk sharing uh, for themselves, right? So um, you you don't step in to provide it for them, but you provide them the tools to enable them to share their risks uh, and share services uh, accordingly. Um, and uh, you know, maybe uh, touch on some of the points that uh, John was talking about earlier. Um, we we now have insure tech um, solutions, P two P insurance, where um, you know you, you're essentially getting like-minded individuals in the same sector perhaps uh, together um, to pool their risk and all you need to do uh, for them is to um, you know have the the systems the 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 technology to arm themselves with an app or you know some backroom services to kind of help them uh, with with their you know um, uh, the pooling of their risk so I think the first thing is um, we as Grab um, um, do also buy insurance coverage for for our for our our partners, right? Um, for example, on, on COVID, we 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 bought um, COVID insurance for the partners in in, in Singapore. Um, those was still the days when you can actually get COVID insurance coverage. Uh, you probably can't get it now um, at this late stage of of the pandemic. Um, so there is some insurance coverage that we provide for our partners, um, um, that's, that's one. The, the second thing is, again, innovation required, right? So we, 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 we for example, we partner with NTUC and, and in Malaysia, we, we tried this as well. Um, we do micro insurance. So every ride, you know, one cent, two cent of, of that ride goes into buying insurance that helps um, protect the, 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 the drivers. Um, so there are examples of sort of this kind of innovation that we can, we can do. Um, what is also interesting is we have very, and, and because the gig workers are usually not very well um, banked, right? There is not a lot of information about them and very hard to credit score them, right? To assess their profile. And because they are on our platforms, we know in detail their earning capabilities and, and, and are, is able to give a much more accurate um, assessment of, 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 of their risk profile and able therefore to much better provide um, insurance coverage where because there was no information, they don't file for income tax, they don't have a credit card, um, it's, it's very hard for insurance company or for, for, for bank to provide any kind of solutions. But because of platforms like, like, like 
like like Grab, we are able to get a bit better sense and access better that they have income, um, and that that they, they through you know the last five months of, of work they, they have they have good income and therefore they can get access to, for example, um, personal loan or insurance coverage that they would otherwise not have gotten. So I think that's the power of the data that's coming through in in a platform such as this could also be part of the solutions of finding ways to extend coverage where traditionally they would not have been able to. And, and, and you hang, uh, just to follow up on that point, um, you know, the, um, the data that, that resides with you, right? Um, um, is, is that, um, you know, uh, likely to be uh, shared uh, with, with um, you know, other institutions, other organizations, um, you know, with, with the workers themselves perhaps to help them um, organize it or is it still uh, in the domain of, 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 of your platform? So uh, I, I think one is the, the, the basic is we need to have, 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 have data production, right? So it will not be shared and we will not be able to circumvent any, any regulatory um, um, circumstances on that. Um, having said that, there, there are ways in which uh, with the permission of, of, of our partners, we are able to then share data and get, um, get into better solutions um, for them. Right, so that that they are sharing, and we're very happy to share um, data. Maybe not just on insurance, but we have been, for example, sharing macro data with MTI, um, because we are one of the folks um, with the kind of data for you to have a real, almost real time gauge of economic activity in Singapore, um, rather than waiting for, say, let's say, a quarter later when when MTI release results. So, so um, we have quite interesting data. We're actually very prepared to share data with with partners and with government. Uh, except, of course, uh, privacy um, uh, uh, concerns and, and uh, apply. Very good. Okay, I think uh, it's it's now time to uh, open up uh, to the questions that we've got uh, from uh, Facebook. Um, and uh, if if you are on Facebook, please uh, you know can let uh, the uh, the questions come through. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll package some of the questions up uh, and 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 pose them to to the panelists here. Um, uh, there's one from uh, Mr. Kenneth Tang. Uh, and it's talking about um, the, you know, how we pay for all of this, um, you know, the, uh, the social support that uh, obviously um, is in the short term as well as in the longer term, some of the longer term measures that uh, need to be put in place. So the government has obviously put in a lot of um, uh, support measures. Um, you know, the question is whether the private sector needs to also then step up uh, and, um, you, know, um, you, know, you know, how can the um, the, the private sector share this burden with with um, with the with the public sector, uh, and what does it mean for um, um, you know kind of margins and um, and and profitability going forward? Um, John, uh, you know any of you the panelists, please um, if you can weigh in on this on this um, issue. It's, it's, it's such a hard one, Chris. I mean, it, the you know the governments themselves are taking on kind of un, unprecedented debt. You know, beyond that, they even took on in the global financial crisis. And in general terms, I don't think you know industry suffering uh, as well. And I think their ability to uh, step up in the foreseeable future is is, is, is pretty tough. Uh, I think the the question really, I think, for government is how they un unwind the, the debt position <laughs> and the pay. The pace at which they unwind it and how they try and recoup from different segments of society. And it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't pretend to have any answers uh, today, but I think there are, you know, major questions around, you know, intergenerational fairness that need to be um, asked. I mean, we're already seeing that the, 
you know, the current generation of workers have probably endured um, a more a less generous working environment than maybe their their parents have do, have done. And uh, this debt burden, if it only falls on the current generation of workers, that can only exacerbate uh, the, the situation. So I think governments need to try and be creative um, about thinking how they spread uh, the, the recouping of the, the debt and over the, the timescale over which they, they do that. But uh, I'm not sure the private sector in the foreseeable future will be able to to do it, but uh, I think there's got to be a probably a more creative reimagining of, of uh, society uh, in future. I think as we you know start to ponder what the world will look like uh, beyond COVID, whether we're having to deal with it on an ongoing basis, I think it's a great opportunity to just think about how things might be quite different and what our new bargain or political ideology mm. might be in the in the future. But um, it's, it's it's hard. Uh, Chris, maybe allow me to weigh in. Yes, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I think in, uh, in Singapore, actually, we were quite fortunate uh, as we were rolling out all these massive uh, support programs. Uh, we didn't actually have to borrow. Uh, it was financed uh, uh, through our reserves, uh, meaning that uh, the one big benefit from this, uh, as we exit uh, this crisis, we will be able to invest more in capex and rather than paying off the interest um, because we never have to borrow uh, to run through all these uh, big uh, support programs. So I think that there's something that's going to put us in quite a good state. Um, I do think that companies um, can do something uh, to contribute to this cause. Uh, I think firstly, I think um, there, there have been retained earnings uh, for certain companies, especially those have been a better balance sheet uh, heading into the crisis. Uh, some that are still in viable sectors, healthcare, uh, pharmaceuticals and stuff. I think those do have uh, the balance, uh, the books to really support uh, more growth. And the growth that we really want them to look into uh, is investment and training. Um, erosion of human capital in any crisis is the biggest impediment to a quick rebound um, over, the, over the history of the crisis we had. Um, the better skilled we have, the better we are. The easy thing to do is to let go of people now and try to rehire quickly. Um, so if companies can go in, contribute to the cause, train our workers, retain them, that is going to make unemployment a lot manageable shorten the period of unemployment if workers are to be laid off because they are better trained and just help the economy to get into a better rebound uh, once we exit uh, COVID. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, now that we're touching on a little bit of the, um, the issue about um, human capital development and uh, retraining, reskilling, um, you know, I, 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 I want to link that uh, idea with, with giving workers the space um, and, and also the income to support themselves whilst they, they do uh, retrain and reskill. Um, and, and I'll touch on, on some of the things that um, uh, Chiana was talking about um, in her presentation earlier on uh, about um, uh, schemes like um, universal basic income, um, helping to uh, provide uh, workers that income uh, uh, during the po point at which they are reskilling and retraining for, for new jobs. Um, and, and, you know, Chiyan, maybe, maybe you can, um, you know, comment on this, that, um, you know, uh, that, that this needs to be paid for. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe workers are um, 
along the lines of your modular universal basic income scheme, um, you know, essentially uh, borrowing from their future, they will repay this back with the taxes that they will pay once they have, um, you know, earned uh, uh, new income from those uh, new jobs, uh, and then they'll pay tax to repay that um, that um, income that they borrowed um, in, in, in during the, uh, the the times of their retraining. Yeah, so so that that is the that's the way that we thought we will finance um, um, the the universal basic income, right? Which is to Okay, so I, I think like Desmond said, uh, we are very fortunate because we do have reserves that, to support us at least in the last two months. So um, up till now, the circuit breaker measures, um, all the policies that are in place are funded by mostly by the reserves. However, the question remains as to uh, how long this, this pandemic is going to last and whether we can keep on drawing down our reserves to, um, you know, to, to pay for all the interventions that, that, and policies. So... At some point, we, we must realize that, um, that, that there is social responsibility for us to contribute rather than to keep tapping on the reserves. And that's when uh, a scheme like movie should be considered. Okay, So those who are affected, uh, everybody gets the benefit now to secure against, uh, to insure against the uncertainty. And those who um, have higher income uh, in these uncertain times can contribute a little bit more. Of course, we can't think about how long this scheme has to be financed, you know, depending on how long it is um, going to extend, then we can think about whether, you know, there, there should be a temporary increase in taxes uh, for a year or for uh, two years. Okay, so that, that, that is all calibration. But the idea is that um, for those who are able to obtain a higher earning, then they should pay higher taxes um, to help support this, this pandemic. And I, I don't see... I, I mean, now that we are discussing this, I feel like um, we could apply the same kind of thinking to companies as well. You see, so companies are, are experiencing great difficulties now. Um, the, the time ahead is very uncertain, not just in terms of demand, but also the supply chain issues internationally. So, so with, with all these risks at the background, it's very difficult for, for us to, uh, to ask companies to chip in more, you know, and or to think about how much they want to chip in. Okay, so they, they, they need to survive first, right? But, but there is no harm in thinking about what if you, you manage to make it with all the state support? See, so if the government is really supportive of, um, of, of and help you to, to survive through, to tide through the pandemic, um, what, what are you willing to, to give back in terms of taxes? you know, to, to fund this, this, all these programs that we have for you. So, so there might be a little bit of room to do that. Um, both on the individual side as well as for the, the, com the company side, okay, at least from how I see it, without distortion in, in the incentives to work or to, to uh, earn profits. Um, and uh, I, I want to go back a little bit to, to what uh, Yu Heng said. Uh, it, it is great that, that Grab you know, is listening to the feedback of, uh, from the workers and is only able to do it because there are many workers under Grab but actually for full-time job workers, um, the ones at the highest risk are those with small businesses because small businesses actually have the highest business risk. Um, if one person doesn't report for work, it's very difficult for me to run my operation, you know, in, in my five-man company. So that's why, that might be one of the reasons why, um, you know, sick leave and, and leave in general um, is very difficult for them to approve. You know, their, their workers to go and leave. Um, so, 
And, and so then, then who should rightly represent these workers, you see? So individually, they are in this company and they may have very little people, um, very few people that they, they can rely on. And that's when uh, the unions will be the most, um, um, you know, the, the perfect place to, to help to gather them and to speak on their behalf. Um, but, but it is very important to do it right now because the bargaining power is very, very low um, going, uh, um, I mean, in the road uh, ahead. And we are not sure about what kind of, um, you know, like um, payouts that we are going to give to the low-wage workers. So preferably both must be in place, union um, representation, as well as, um, you know, like uh, some sort of payouts to support these workers so that they don't succumb to poor job conditions. It's very difficult to recover uh, once, you know, the companies have it uh, in them that, okay, you know, people are able to tolerate this kind of work conditions. So, and this kind of pay. So I, I won't have any sort of incentive to adjust it upwards when things get better. So it's better to prevent them from making the jobs worse than to force them to improve the jobs later, I think. Yeah. And Chris, yeah, then, if um, I can... Yeah, go ahead, John. I'll, I'll come back Sorry, just to my point. Very, very, very quickly reflecting on the, the role of the, the private sector, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that you've got government reserves, which is kind of uh, unusual for, for Western uh, economies. But in, in absence of uh, government reserves, one of the, I guess, uh, sectors of the private um, private industry that's actually been very helpful uh, in alleviating the short-term burdens being the, 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 the banking sector. So as we've gone into this um, crisis, the banks have actually started from a, a very well-capitalised position, which they weren't 10 years ago in the global financial crisis. Um, and that high capital position coupled with a relaxation of the solvency uh, requirements has enabled banks to support many businesses who are experiencing short-term cash flow problems in anticipation of course that they end up being viable in the long run and are able to to repay so that's been a, a very important feature I think in the you know some of the western economies that the banking sector has actually stepped up and made quite a significant contribution to keeping companies uh, afloat so if if you do get to the unfortunate position where your reserves are starting to to uh, pale the banking sector might be a a, a place to to support thanks john um, I was just going to follow on from what uh, Chiyan was saying and, and, and pose the question to, to Desmond then, uh, you know, <laughs> about um, um, the issue of, of, of unions and, and trade associations in, in, in helping um, uh, these uh, self-employed workers, these gig economy workers. Um, and, you know, obviously there's quite a lot of support coming through from the government at this stage. Um, so the, the job support <clears throat> scheme and the, um, uh, the self-employed income relief scheme. Um, you know, is, is there not a sort of a, a way to then, uh, you know, peg the provision of this, uh, of this support, this assistance um, to um, sort of signing up membership of, of, of unions, right? So, you know, this, this, you know, embeds the relationship uh, between um, the workers and and you know each other through the union, right? Uh, and then that therefore becomes this um, more permanent um, uh, relationship, and you know you can then uh, activate uh, activate uh, more people uh, in this in this regard. Uh, uh, Chris, great point on this. Um, there's always two things you look at. One is the cost identification. 
That means the workers see us as a viable partner uh, and their voice for them to address um, disparity in bargaining powers. I think Chien is uh, perfectly correct, um, especially for the lower wage workers. Um, they really find um, a very strong sense of cost identification. And even you start to see PMEs and start coming in and say, we believe in your cause, we want to sign up as members um, because a critical mass is important. Uh, we do positive discrimination. Uh, if you sign up as a member, um, we do come out with our own funds for hardship support uh, during trying times. And, and that's not only just uh, during the pandemic period. Um, ever since we started, uh, whether is it uh, as a member in a, a cooperative like uh, Fair Price uh, or Income, uh, members do get added benefits. Uh, but we want to move away from the mercantile benefits to now saying that where, play, where there are places whereby the playing field is not level, NTC can come in to help you to level those playing fields. Um, I think that is where we are needed. Um, I think the experiences in many countries have shown where trade unions are stronger, uh, workers uh, tend to be better off. And you not only just see that uh, negatively in the United States, but you see it positively in the Scandinavian countries. Um, I think that um, we do want to come in a state whereby we are not uh, out to make uh, employers worse out. Uh, in fact, we want to make employers into strong companies. Uh, we want to make sure that companies emerge from COVID stronger so that my workers can have jobs. So um, I do see a stronger role for unions, especially in the spaces that Chien identified, the lower wage workers, the own account workers, especially the, those that are not so, uh, they're not paid well. I think we do need to come in and represent them more. Um, we think that there's good opportunities for us to work with our partners to say that, how can we up the level of legal representation uh, for some of them? Sometimes our hands are tied. Um, the mere fact that they're contract for service workers means that by law, there's a limit to how much we can represent them. Um, and I think that it's worthwhile for us to look into, um, do we then now need to change uh, some of these uh, uh, legal uh, constraints um, if we think that this group of workers are going to grow in numbers and significance um, over time. So uh, especially in their contribution to GDP. So uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a next bound of study for us. And, uh, and, and who knows, we, we're going to work with the Social Service Research Centre at some point, you know, um, hearing good things from them. So, Jian, um, we do have to catch up after this. Yeah, um, Yeah. so I, I would like to just, just follow up on John's point, right, um, which is that, um, you know, like, um, and Desmond too, that, that mm. private institutions increasingly are trying to shift the risk from the institution to the individual. And hence, coming out of short-term contracts, you know, there are more and more people who move away. I mean, there is no longer, uh, very few jobs have this concept called permanent jobs yeah. now. You know, most of us <clears throat> need some sort of contracts. And um, and and then with the, the, the own account worker kind of um, arrangements, you know. So, so you can see that they are trying to push the risk more and more to the individual. Um, but the legislation really needs to catch up. You see, like, um, to what extent can we allow them to do this? Um, to, to reduce business costs and make the profit from there um, rather than to truly innovate and, and gain the business costs from higher demand or, or for better products. Mm. Um, so, so, so this is the part where, where legislation and unions and workers really need to talk 
and I, I mean to arrive at the tripartite kind of um, arrangement, you know, that, that some, at some point we, we need to stop um, this kind of contractual agreements. Um, and, and I really do hope that the triple low jobs will, will decrease in numbers, Desmond. Like I, I, if, if the unions can, can do more to, to, to look into these issues, the triple low jobs are, are, are terrible. Like um, it, it's, just, it, it's just that there's just no, I mean, if you think about the situation of low wage workers, many of them are in very precarious situations at home um, uh, with, with childcare, with parental care. So the lack of flexibility, uh, the, the, the risk involved in not being able to leave work to take care of my own health or my children uh, really makes it very difficult for them to hang on to a, a, a low-wage full-time job. But at the same time, um, actually our policy is to push them towards these full-time jobs because that gives them CPF so that they can you know, aspire towards home ownership, um, they can build up their retirement savings. So there is some sort of contradiction here uh, in the triple low jobs. And, and we, we really need to aggressively uh, address some of these issues. Can I add on a, a, a point here? Um, you know, we, we have been, in Grab, we've been digging deeper into really understand the profile of the, the partners in our platform, right? And, and it, it's, it's very interesting because we all have our own ideas of what the gig economy is. And as you dig <clears throat> deeper into it, you realize that it's actually a very diverse group of people with very different sub-segments, right? There is the segment of, you know, guys who work 40 hours a week driving or delivering and it's their main income. A lot of them a bit older um, and and don't really have, um, find it's very hard to go back to formal employment. Then you have sort of single parents who treasure the, the flexibility that they have. Um, they might not work two hours, but it's actually quite critical part of their supplementary income then you might have more transient people. They could be a little bit younger, but they don't look into gig economy as sort of something that is going to be there for a long term. Um, they do it for a few months and then it, they, they move on, right? So one thing I think we need to do is to really, and like what, what was presented earlier, to really understand the different segments and to recognize that um, for the different segments, different things are important to them. And as we think about solutions and regulatory um, 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 you know, uh, legislation for, for, to, to protect and to support them, I think we need to make sure that we, we, we take into this account of this diversity of, of people who otherwise might not have the opportunity. Because a classic question to, to me has always been, why don't Grab just hire all these people as, as, as your employees? The question, the, 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 the issue is they, a lot of them don't want to be employees because they say, I can't afford to be working nine to five. I like the flexibility. Um, I certainly just want to do this for three months while I'm studying or, or what I'm, I, I, or, or I'm retired. I'm 60. I got, um, you know, I'm still very active. Um, I want to do something, but not so, so long. So we hear a lot of feedback as well on, um, and that's what I want, right? We can also sometimes apply solutions from the past to this because um, the, the gig economy does open up opportunities for a lot of people um, um, that would otherwise not been there and they would just not have the opportunity. So I think that's actually quite an important thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, I, 
if I if I may weigh in just very short. Um, yeah, I, I really think that it, it's very interesting how Grab has become our social insurance. You know, like for for the reduced for those with reduced income or no income. Um, yeah, many of them have not, are now with Grab. You know, doing delivery jobs and and uh, driving. Um, but the question is, should that should they be the ones to to give the kind of social insurance to the to the society? Uh, what and then with that kind of with that kind of technology, you know, and and market power, then all the more, you know, everybody should be very careful, you know, with um yeah, uh, how and to achieve that kind of balance between so, social responsibility and the individual responsibility. Uh, yeah. let's, can I say one one small thing, which is. I agree with you. I, I think there has to be healthy cynicism and caution on tech companies, right? Because they're big and um, maybe not us, but you know, there's a lot of uh, healthy distrust with, with tech. On the other hand, I think it's also quite important for companies like us to recognize that we're not just simply a platform. Um, we now have some, around 8 million people across Southeast Asia who is in one way or another making money off the platform. That's 8 million people, right? Um, and, and so what we do have, if you can, and I think companies like us, yes, while you, know, you guys might say, maybe we shouldn't be given this much responsibility, but the fact is we do have this responsibility and whatever we do, we need to make sure that it's, it's, it's sustainable and it, it makes sense for our, our partners. At the same time, we can't also charge too much to our consumers and we need to survive as a company. So it's not an easy thing for us um, to do, but we certainly take these responsibilities very seriously. Um, and we shouldn't be alone, but you know, um, it's something that we, we, we lose sleep on and we think about all the time. Great. Thanks, Yuheng. And uh, regrettably, we've come to the end of our session here today. Uh, we've talked about quite a lot of things. Uh, we talked about state-level uh, initiatives, uh, and I think we can explore the whole uh, ideas some of the fundamental concepts behind um, universal basic income uh, and, and maybe see how we can apply that uh, in the Singapore context. Um, we've also talked about the role of unions and trade associations uh, and um, you know, the role of legislation uh, in terms of um, facilitating uh, that, that longer term relationship between uh, workers themselves uh, and, and the state. Uh, and also talked about a little bit about the, the, the ways in which um, private sector uh, platforms like, uh, like Grab and, and other uh, um, online platforms uh, to um, you know, get, uh, organize, help organize uh, uh, labor uh, into, into um, you know, to help themselves. Okay. Um, it, again, we haven't been able to cover everything that we wanted to, as I said at the start, uh, but it is the start of the uh, inquiry that we will uh, be having. Uh, and I will be pleased to, to, to get as many of you uh, online as well as uh, uh, the fellow panelists here uh, in, the, in the conversation. Um, uh, before we go, uh, I'd like to uh, uh, thank all of the panelists and all of you online uh, for participating in this uh, rather long session. It's, it's overstretched by a few minutes. Um, thank you, uh, John. Thank you, Desmond. Thank you, Yu Heng and Tian uh, for uh, joining us today and spending this time. Uh, a round of applause. Thank you. Uh, and um, if for everybody else, um, you know, please uh, send us your feedback. Uh, there's a link to the feedback form on our Facebook page. Uh, we'd be very much pleased to, to get your uh, comments about how we can improve uh, this uh, series uh, going forward. Thank you very much and uh, have a good evening. Uh, have a good rest of the morning, uh, John. Thank you. Mm -hmm.